Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, March 26th. We begin with a look at the government's announcement of mandatory quarantine for residents returning home from abroad. We get the details from Global's chief political correspondent, David Aiken. Next, we look at the massive impact the COVID-19 pandemic is having on Canada's airline industry. Global News contributor Matthew Fisher joins us with the staggering numbers. We've heard a lot of updates from our big cities and small towns in Alberta all dealing with the pandemic, but what about Indigenous communities? We'll hear how they're coping and the unique challenges they face. Then we'll hear from the Mayor of Banff, Karen Sorensen, on the precarious position she's in as a leader of a town that thrives through tourism, now faced with telling visitors to stay away for the time being. And finally, the pandemic has touched all corners of our lives and our churches are no different. How to stay connected to your religion in a time of isolation. The Quarantine Act has been put into place in Canada and hefty fines and jail times uh, could be the result of refusing uh, to self-isolate. Joining us to talk about Canada's COVID-19 situation is Global's Chief Political Correspondent, David Aiken. Good morning, David. Good morning. How are you doing, guys? Good. Thank you for taking the time. Appreciate it. Now, I want to make this clear. So if a snowbird, for example, comes back to Canada and refuses to self-isolate, what is the punishment now? It's big time. It's big time. It's a major fine and even jail time, possibly. Now, you know, if a judge is going to level the fine, it's not going to be the maximum fine, but I'll give you the maximum fine, 750000 bucks or six months in jail. I mean, we're, we're serious about this. Mm-hmm. If you land at the airport, and of course, you know, you've, you've got to be coming from one of these designated international airports now, and then presumably flying uh, flying, uh, flying along. Um, you got to go straight home. You can't stop to pick up groceries. You can't stop at the pharmacy. You can't stop at the liquor store. Get a buddy to do that. Get family members to do that. You go straight home. And here's the other thing. For those landing at the airport, no public transit for that person. You can't take a cab. You can't take the LRT. You can't take a bus. You'll have to go home in your own vehicle if you left it at the airport. And if you didn't, have, a, have, have somebody come and pick you up. And if that's not available, public health officials will actually drive you home. Do not get on the bus. Do not get on the train. Don't pass go. (laughs) Well, go straight home. Uh, It's really, really important. And we had situations here in Ontario at some of our borders. We have snowbirds coming back from Florida via, you know, on their RVs. And they were popping, uh, coming back. And as soon as they get across the Canadian border, pulling into the local Walmart to get supplies. No, 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 no. You go straight home. You don't do that. And there are going to be federal officials doing what they call spot check compliance on this to make sure that people go home. And so, yes, you can expect to fine if, uh, you know, a federal official sees you get off a plane and get in a bus. Boom, you're going to get a fine. If you, you know, they, I guess, see your car veering into a pharmacy near the airport, boom, you're going to get a fine. Go straight home and stay home for 14 days. There's really no excuse. I mean, they, they've put out, uh, the federal government has a big, uh, you know, media uh, uh, release, you know, commercials and all that sort of thing. So the, the message is for sure getting out. Is the message being passed along right at the border for those snowbirds, for example, who are coming home? Are the, are the border agents telling them to? Well, this is where there's been some controversy because ever since the voluntary, well, I guess voluntary, the suggestion, whatever, we, we've had these sort of suggestions in place. If you come from the United States or anywhere, go self-quarantine. But there have been lots of reports where there isn't any signs. Uh, the instructions, border officials are not giving people those instructions. It's been a bit confusing. Again, that's mostly anecdotal stuff. But we have brought this up with uh, officials here in Ottawa. These uh, Every day we're having these ministerial press briefings with the public safety minister or the health minister. And they insist that more and more resources are going to the frontline folks, uh, the, the people you talk to as you, at the border, to make sure the instructions are clear, to make sure there's clear signs, to make sure that every traveler coming in 
knows what to do. And when we say every traveler, of course, we, we don't accept any foreign travelers except for uh, those on essential business coming uh, from the States. Uh, that's it. It's, it's, there, this is all pretty much Canadians and permanent residents. And one, there is one exception. This is a good point. It's dawned in my head. Remember I said, you come in from the States, you go home for 14 days, period. There is an exception there, and that would, of course, be truck drivers. They're essential to get stuff back and forth across the, the border. So, you know, they're getting checked for their health every time they cross the border, but they are able to turn around and, and get right back to work, and obviously that's uh, that's crucial. You mentioned at this point uh, following up, maybe checking the vehicles, but the seriousness, uh, seriousness of this can't be underscored because I believe it was uh, Global News who reported the incident of a Markham, Ontario woman who uh, came across the border recently. Are you familiar with that story? Well, I, I don't know about that one, but I do know there's been there was an arrest in Quebec. Yes, the, an actual arrest in which uh, you know someone who was under quarantine, yes. uh, you know, was left, and you know they picked her up and brought her right back home. So yeah, the police are know about this. The police in Alberta or wherever it may be have the power to arrest people. You don't need mm-hmm. federal emergencies acts. This is under the quarantine act, uh, and that gives the power to any police officer, any peace officer, mm-hmm. to enforce this act. And it will be enforced. There will be fines. I mean, we're not going to have, you know, Kojak running around quizzing everybody or anything like that. But if an officer sees some obvious behavior, and most obvious is, you know, you see somebody cross a land border and then, you know, pull right into a shopping center, Mm -hmm. that's pretty obvious. Um, Might be a little less obvious for people coming off a plane, but you may be asked, do you have your own car to get home? And if your answer is no, I'm getting on the bus, they'll say, wait right here, we're going to get you a public health official. You know, just that's how it's going to be enforced. David, sorry, I don't know if you said this at the beginning. Has this ever been put into effect before? Oh, there's been usually the quarantine act is enforced on you know, you know, small regional basis. Maybe a building, maybe a school. This is the this is a first for a national essentially quarantine uh, enforcement for all travelers coming back. And we're not talking a few travelers. I think the, the prime minister in one of his briefings says. You know, I think we've repatriated something like a million Canadians. At any given time, apparently, there are three million Canadians living, working, traveling outside the country, and a million have come back just in the last couple of weeks. So we're talking about a lot of people here and a lot of potential for spreading Mm -hmm. this particular virus. That's why it's so serious. Go home, period. Stay home for 14 days. But we have to do what we have to do at this point, and it sounds like a move at the right time. And uh, serious business, up to $750,000. Thank you for your time this morning, David. Okay, guys. Cheers. That is David Aiken, Global's chief political correspondent. And, Sue, what I was referring to, and uh, it was a global news report here. Uh, and, uh, David does everything he can, and obviously he's all over Parliament Hill. This was an article that had mentioned that a, a couple of days ago, a Markham, Ontario woman crossed the border with her vehicle and uh, died within a number of hours of the coronavirus. That's terrifying. And I mean, we've seen video, we've seen pictures of it, uh, the snowbirds or whomever crossing the border and then driving in behind, for example, a Walmart or wherever, in behind to leave their RVs so that they're not seen from the front and then still going into the store. So obviously people are getting the message, but they just choose to ignore it. So this is a way for the government to crack down and make sure that you don't have any choice. You can't ignore it or you're going to face a really big fine and potentially jail time and that's unheard of in this country for yeah. sure with with all the do- i mean you might not have a huge family who can leave stuff on your doorstep for there's your somebody there's some and not yeah. just that if you have there's the delivery services now yeah you don't have to get out and i think the thought process is i'm just going to dart in and dart out of the store and infect a whole whack of people on my way and it very much could cost you you don't know who's watching 
And like uh, David said, maybe not that $750,000 or six months in jail, but even a thousand bucks minimum. Like, I mean, that would be incredible to get walloped with that just by getting groceries when there are other ways to get it done when you return. 749 on the morning news. And his latest article is on globalnews.ca. Eerie absence of air travel amid coronavirus has repercussions on economy. Joined by Global News contributor Matthew Fisher. Good morning, Matthew. Hi, good morning to Calgary and good morning to you. Good to, uh, good to have you on this morning. And, uh, you know, we can read about these headlines and, and hear about these cutbacks. But physically, within your article, you mentioned the sky above, noticing the difference in uh, large cities like Toronto. Yeah, and I'm sure it's the same in Calgary, too, although you don't get as many flights as Toronto. But there are just fewer aircraft over Canada. If any of your listeners wanted to go to uh, the flight data tracking sites, there are a number of them they could uh, Google and, and go and look. They will show exactly in real time all the aircraft over Canada. And uh, if you had looked a few weeks ago, you'd see a heck of a lot of aircraft. And now you see far fewer. In fact, yesterday at one point, I noticed in Saskatchewan, in the middle of the day over the entire province, and it's a pretty big province, there were about three or four aircraft flying. Well, mm-hmm. normally, just flying from eastern Canada to western Canada, you probably would have had at any one time 10, 15 aircraft over Saskatchewan, plus its own con- uh, uh, number of flights. In Toronto, the number of flights are down on a really busy day in Toronto. They handle 1,500 movements. They were down at 500 movements a few days ago. They were at 400 yesterday, and probably they're going to be down at two or 300 uh, next week. It's easy to follow because all the Canadian carriers have either suspended service like Transat or are in the process of cutting their route networks by about 90%, including, uh, uh, of course, WestJet, which is based in Calgary. You can see why so many layoffs in the airline industry then, Matthew. But is, this, is it unprecedented? The only time that I can think where we saw few or fewer, and in this case, in the air, uh, airplanes, was, was 9-11. Is this unprecedented times? Well, it is. 9-11, of course, it was a, an absolute stop. Mm-hmm. And so then if you looked at these uh, tracking things, they were nearly as sophisticated then. But you would have only seen a few military aircraft, the radar images from them. But yes, that is an excellent comparison. And that was more. uh, But the impact was quite uh, over quite quickly because it was only a number of days. I forget, I was in Washington trying to fly to Pakistan. And it seems to me that it was only about five days that everything was uh, seized up. This looks like it's going to be four, six, eight, twelve weeks, and that has dramatic consequences for the airlines and, of course, for the thousands of people who work for them. WestJet and Calgary, God knows the Alberta economy has taken enough mm-hmm. hit, but this is another one, Sue. Uh, you are really going to feel this, and WestJet is now parking their airplanes. All the carriers are. All over the place. They've sent 10 to the desert in Arizona where corrosion is left, uh, WestJet has. But it's got airplanes in uh, Kitimat or Terrace up in northern B.C. It's got them in Sault Ste. Marie, Halifax. A heck of a lot of them are at the Calgary Airport if anybody wants to drive by and see about 
one-third of WestJet's fleet all parked. You would see them there. Lots in Toronto and Vancouver, too. Well, and you think about it, uh, Matthew, if, if, if we get everybody healthy and get a handle on the virus, that's fine. But uh, people won't have the money to spend, I would think, as soon as uh, they have that opportunity. Uh, that's so very, very true. And it's for people buying cars, people making big purchases, houses, but also tourism, hotels. Uh, the mountains in Alberta depend greatly on tourism. Well, international tourism The Chinese are certainly going to be traveling less for a while. The Japanese, who have always been for 20, 30, 40 years now a big part of your tourism market, they won't uh, be coming. And the Canadians just won't have the money in their pockets to go to the resorts. Again, there are knock-on effects for restaurants, hotels, the the people who sell the good souvenirs and the schlock souvenirs. All of those people are, are going to get hammered because of this takes a long time. The other point is airplanes and aviation are so important to Canada, uh, almost more important than any country on earth except maybe Russia and Australia. We are so darn big, and we rely on them for passengers and for critical supplies. And, uh, it's going to harm us in the short term that way, but also when it comes back so slowly, it's going to harm us for I'm guessing a couple of years anyway. Yeah, I would think so. Well, it's a sobering update, but we thank you for joining us, Matthew. Thank you very much for having me. I hope to speak with you again. You betcha. Stay safe. That's Matthew Fisher, Global News contributor. 8-11 now. And from the current number of cases to healthcare challenges and uh, even business closures, the headlines surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic are plentiful when it comes to the impact on our cities and our towns. But how are Alberta's Indigenous communities dealing with COVID-19? For an update this morning, we're joined by Assembly of First Nations, Alberta Regional Chief Marlene Poitras. Good morning, Chief Poitras. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. How are Alberta's Indigenous communities faring during this crisis? Well, you know, the the leadership in the communities are are doing an exceptional job in in um, addressing addressing the the COVID nineteen at the local level. You know, putting measures into place. Uh, we have twenty four First Nations in Alberta that that. Um, have declared states of emergency, and um, it, you know they're they're doing what they can. Uh, there's there's issues, you know, issues with uh, protective equipment uh, and supplies and testing, and I think that's that's a common issue across the country, not only mm-hmm. with First Nations but with um, you know Canada as a whole. So so you know those those are some of the issues that we're trying to get on top of and. Resourcing is uh, is another issue that you know. I know the government has been doing their best. They did pass the uh, the the bill the other day in in, in their response to COVID nineteen, and uh, you know we're just hoping that the the resources can flow as soon as possible so that First Nations are are prepared to to respond to the to the crisis. Can you talk about any unique challenges that the Indigenous communities may have when it comes to this pandemic? Absolutely. I mean, First Nations have so many issues that they have to deal with. You know, overcrowded housing, um, lack of safe drinking water. You know, those are just some some of the issues. Like, um, you know, if a community had to quarantine their people, you know, with with some 
nations having 15 people living in a home how can you effectively do mm-hmm. that and you know w- without um um putting other other lives at risk so so you know there's a real concern that that if the virus hits the na- the, the nations that it could be catastrophic you know, because of the many issues that that uh, First Nations have to deal with, so those are those are some of the issues that we're looking at and and trying to mitigate some some of those uh, uh, problems. You know, just thinking the the chiefs are are very uh, very good in terms of determining what the issues are and uh what what the answers are and how how they need to respond to it but uh, there's of course there's the issue of lack of resources and so so those are uh you know some of the issues that myself as regional chief of Alberta you know ensuring to that the government response responds to the first nation in a timely manner you know we're we're, we're doing our best right now and um um, yeah, there's so many challenges and, and uh, a lot of fears, of course, mm-hmm. you know, from our members. And, and uh, the, the key is to push social distancing and to keep our communities safe. So, so those are, you know, some of the, the key issues that, that we're trying to address at the moment. So, Chief, provincially, are you in the process of, of working on plans or do you have some backup plans? As you said, for example, some of the homes that have multiple members living there and, and what to do if someone does contract COVID-19. Are there plans in the work for uh, First Nations here in Alberta? There are. Um Canada has um, stated that that you know if First Nations have to go into um, self isolation or quarantine, they they do have structures that that are available that they can uh, uh, provide to the communities as needed. And uh, so you know we're we're still trying to work through some of those hurdles and and uh, ensure you know even in terms of if. if First Nations have facilities that they can utilize, retrofitting those communities so, so that they, they're adequate in, in responding to, to uh, you know, the quarantine measures and ensuring that there's enough medical professionals to, to um, um, provide a service to the First Nations as well as uh, provide testing. And, you know, so, so there, there's a lot of issues that are being addressed uh, you know, even even in terms of nations that, that are calling local states of emergencies, uh, ensuring ensuring that the, the security personnel is there mm-hmm. to to man you know the the um, any blocks that they have and and to ensure that they're safe as well. So so there's so much issues that have to be taken into consideration, but uh, you know th- those are being discussed. Uh, you know, with, with um, First Nations Inuit Health Branch and Indi- Indigenous Services Canada and the local region, as well as uh, you know, if there's if there's any issues that that come up, uh, I you know I push at the national level, you know, with uh, Minister Mark Miller, and you know, just to ensure that um, um, these issues are are being um, addressed as we go as we go along. Well, thank you so much for your time this morning and the update. We appreciate it.
You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That is Assembly of First Nations, Alberta Regional Chief Marlene Poitras. 819 now in Parks Canada, closing National Park's historic sites because of COVID-19. And the mayor of Banff has asked people to stay away from the town right now. Joining us is Banff Mayor Karen Sorensen. Hi, Karen. Hi, how are you doing this morning? Great. Thanks so much for joining us. Boy, it must have pained you to ask folks to stay away. Yeah, that was a very hard statement uh, for myself to make, for the town of Banff to make, for Banff Lake Louise Tourism to make. Uh, we are a community that is built on tourism. We are allowed to have a municipality in a national park as a service centre for visitors. And it was very hard to suggest that we would ask people to please stay away. What about the shops in town, Mayor? Are they closed up right now? I'm sure that some have to be open for residents. What, uh, what very few, but okay. almost all of our stores and businesses are closed uh, to the public. And, of course, Parks Canada has closed all services and access to attractions in the park, which we're grateful for. This really helps discourage mm-hmm. uh, visitors from even coming into the vicinity, which which is good for their safety and, and certainly for our community safety. Still waiting to hear if the fudge store is going to do home delivery, but we can <laughs> talk about that later. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, though, as to how it made you feel when you saw, you know, I, we're obviously all homebound and, and want to get out, but to see all the people flocking to the park and to Banff on the weekend, it must have been super frustrating for you. Well, to be honest, the town of Banff didn't see a great influx of people in the municipality. My understanding is that there were people in other areas of Alberta, provincial parks, and certainly out in Banff National Park, um, as the federal minister stated yesterday. And, of course, we stay in close contact with our local parks people. So there was crowding uh, in some of the more popular spots in the park. However, again, we're up for a really nice weekend, mm-hmm. and it's very possible that had Parks not made that move, that we would have seen more more people come to town this weekend. So we're very grateful for that, and we appreciate the media continuing letting us get our message out in Banff and Canmore to please stay home. And what's your message to residents? Because I'm sure that it's a tight-knit community, um, isolating. What would you say to them? Well, we're saying the same thing, to please stay home. We are monitoring our residents as well uh, closely. We have an unusual community, of course, where we have so many, you know, 20-somethings working here. Many of them are trying to get home, and and many have left. Um, It's been devastating for our community. We have um, probably 5,000 people or more laid off, and in a town of 9,000 people, that's a lot of unemployment. Uh, many are leaving, but we are working to um, assure that they also stay healthy and self-isolate. And our, I will say our organizations, our corporations have been incredibly um, compassionate with these people and, and are being allowed to stay in staff accommodation. The town's working really hard with our business partners to figure out how to feed everybody. And uh, I'm very impressed with our, our business community. Well, Mayor, we promise we'll be back out to see you as soon as uh, things are back to normal in the meantime hopefully again everybody will stay away and uh, do our, everybody's part and just stay home and self-isolate thanks for joining us this morning thank you for that much appreciated that's the mayor of banff karen Sorensen. this difficult time churches are not able to carry out their services so how are religious practices managing through covid19 and isolation this morning we're checking in with bishop william mcgratton the bishop of the diocese of calgary to find out how calgarians are keeping their religious values strong good morning bishop Good morning, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. I know it's a difficult time for so many people. There's a lot of stress and anxiety, and then not being able to go to their place of worship just kind of adds to the pressure, doesn't it? It does. And uh, with my pastoral letter, I tried to ease some of the burden 
Um, we do have uh, a Mass live-streamed uh, each day uh, from St. Peter's Church. And on Sunday, I did the live-stream Mass at St. Mary's Cathedral. So it is an opportunity, I think, for the faithful to participate spiritually, uh, even though they can't physically come. Um, our churches have remained open to those who would come and pray privately in some areas that are restricted so that we can make sure that they're both clean and safe. But that uh, obviously is um, just a, a measure that allows some to come and pray uh, before the Blessed Sacrament. Um, we are providing resources as well uh, to connect them to uh, sites that help them in their spiritual lives uh, during this time of stress. And I think also many of our parishes have uh, reached out by phone, uh, trying to just contact parishioners, ones that they know that are vulnerable, and just to see how they're doing. So I'm, I'm encouraged that many people are taking the opportunity to try and, and reach out and to support those in this time of, of difficulty and challenge, really. The worship, a big part of it, obviously, but the community can't be underscored enough that uh, for some the Sunday gathering is really in on the calendar, isn't it, Bishop? It is, um, and it's a, a very positive thing in a in a very challenging time when you see people's expression of faith, and they have found it to be difficult, uh, the decision that I've made to promote both the safety of our elderly and those who might be vulnerable. Um, it's what we call in our Christian tradition a, a fast, uh, an abstinence, and when we do, uh, we recognize that oftentimes what we take for granted uh, becomes even more important. And so I'm hoping that, you know, during this time of abstinence, of not being able to be present, to gather for the Eucharist, to celebrate on Sundays, that it'll uh, awaken a deeper yearning, a deeper uh, understanding of that spiritual desire that we have, and not to take it for granted. Um, and it is a gift, and I think we need to be understanding of that. Bishop, we've talked about how this, you know, the way that we've changed our society right now for what's going on may actually translate down the road. Do you think this might be a change in the way that services are delivered as well? Maybe an online uh, community might sort of grow out of this? Well, I don't know if we would say that an online sacramental community, because uh, in the Christian tradition, the sacraments are encounters that require what we, we know to be personal and human, and they're very important. And I think we're, we're seeing that on a human level, where people are finding it very difficult to self-isolate. Um, they're recognizing this innate sense that we need to be in community with one another, and that's part of the, the Christian spiritual tradition. Uh, the presence of Christ is found where two or three are gathered. And I know that virtually uh, people can connect, and I know some of our young people have been very creative to sort of create these spiritual chat lines. Some of our university students and our chaplaincy have created that. Um, it might be a way in which we can connect uh, uh, through the Internet and digitally, but I don't think it's going to replace or should replace that uh, personal encounter, that coming together and experiencing what was truly human, um, our sense of belonging to one another. And that's underscoring our Christian tradition, that, that the humanity of Christ is very important in the celebration of our Christian faith. 
Talk about, I know in the end, uh, yes, you are a bishop, but you're a human being. It it must have been very, very difficult to, to literally turn people away at the door. That must have been heartbreaking for you. It has been. Um, there are, are burdens that many of us don't know that we are going to be asked to carry at different times in our life. Um, decisions that uh, we make uh, impact other people. And I do realize that these decisions have, for some, adversely impacted them. Others have been supportive. And uh, I trust and hope that um, what I'm doing will not only promote the safety and well-being of everyone, but will be a sign that we as Christians um, in justice need to support uh, what we know to be um, a very serious situation across the world. Mm-hmm and that um, we're doing this as a sense of solidarity and a sense of commitment to humanity and to protect people. And I think that we have to know that these decisions, um, we trust that we make them with the inspiration of God, and we hope that uh, people can accept them. And I know that our leaders are doing the same thing, our provincial and federal leaders, uh, people across the world. And that's why when we gather as Christians, one of the important groups of people we pray for are those who are our government leaders. Uh, We pray that they will be protected, given the wisdom and the guidance, uh, because their decisions have impact on people and society. Well, we thank you for joining us this morning, Bishop. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much, Sue and Andrew. Thank you. That's Bishop William McGratton, the Bishop of the Diocese of Calgary.